everybody. I'm Stormy Bon and Tony, rinkside reporter for the Golden Knights. And what you're about to hear is game misconduct. It's the Vegas Golden Knights' newest podcast with myself and senior manager of communications and content for the team, Alyssa Girardi. We'll also have some pretty great guests along the way. Every show, we're talking hockey and lifestyle while showcasing incredible female figures in and around the NHL. On this episode, we catch up with Menon Rayom, the first woman to play in a National Hockey League game. The professional goalie turned coach, speaker, and mother shares her at times challenging path to that opportunity. Every time I was getting cut, uh, it was it become a motivation for me to to get better and work harder. And I was determined to to make that team one day, and I did. She also discusses the balance of being feminine and a strong, tough athlete. A lot of people look at me and said, like, you don't, you don't look like a hockey player. And that was a frustrating comment to me. I'm like, what? What should I look like? I should look masculine to play hockey? Plus, great advice for any walk of life. It's never give up and never let someone tell you no and stop you. And um, basically what I told my kids, uh, the girls that I coach all the time, hard work and respect is going to take you far in life, not just in sports. Alyssa and I later reflect on where the VGK are at this season. Pete DeBoer's return to the Shark Tank. And you know we had to revisit a certain Super Bowl wager. These jelly beans actually tasted just like they sounded. You're like, how can I jelly bean tastes like old milk. It tasted spot on. All that and more as we welcome you in to Game Misconduct. So excited to get the pod back up and running this week. We wanted to get a better temperature on, you know, where the team was at following what was a bit of a scary time due to the COVID-19 exposures. I know at least for me personally, Alyssa, it felt like Murphy's Law, like everything that can go wrong did for two weeks. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, things are hopefully back on the up and up right now for the Golden Knights. But despite all of that, the play on the ice has still been tremendous, which we'll get into in a little bit. But yeah, it's been a weird couple of weeks and we missed you guys. Yeah, so much. But as you said, five and one since the long layoff for the Golden Knights and all steam ahead for Tahoe week. So later on in the show, we'll give you a little bit of insight into what our coverage of the Lake Tahoe outdoor game against Colorado will be like. We'll give our full VG and NHL update and we'll get weird and I don't know if anything's weirder than my location to record this show right now do you want to share or should I call you out I feel like you should just explain what you're seeing (laughs) so Stormy is sitting on the floor we're on zoom together right now recording this there is she's very clearly in a closet with a giant pile not pile of shoes are actually pretty well organized shelving of shoes and what looks like mostly your clothing on the other side. Chris's shoes, <laughs> Stormy's boyfriend's shoes and her clothing. Yeah, my my boyfriend is actually downstairs on a work meeting right now and he's blasting it extremely loud. <laughs> and so I had to record the podcast in a good place where there wouldn't be echo and where we couldn't hear that. So this is kind of the result that we have. And yes, this is my exclusive closet. The poor guy has been shunned to put his clothes in the guest shoes? room. Yeah. You have a lot of sneaks. Yeah, I like to pretend that I exercise. So <laughs> there you go. The first step is pretending. <laughs> yeah, you got to do something. What can I say? So the Golden Knights have been off to a really good start. Well, enough about my clothes. At least you didn't say it was messy. So that makes me feel good. Um, the Henderson <laughs> Silver Knights also, by the way, gotten off to a really good start. 
the inaugural season is officially underway and their practice facility over at Lifeguard Arena in Henderson. It's truly beautiful. It's brand new, multi-purpose. So if you've got an event coming up, why not host it there from birthday parties and company outings with a view of the Las Vegas Strip, ice skating and more Lifeguard Arena really has you covered for anything. So give them a call 725-201-3032 if you want to set something up. And now I think it's time for the lowdown on our amazing guest today. An incredible guest. You sat down to talk with Manon Rayo. The word trailblazer is thrown around a lot, but it truly does apply to her. She is a former player. She's a goaltender. She currently coaches and is really involved in girls hockey really all over the country, but she's based back in Michigan right now. She's a hockey mom of two boys, one who is playing at Notre Dame. Dylan's also a goaltender, and she was the first woman to ever play in an NHL game. She did so with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and then she also played for the Las Vegas Thunder in the 1994-95 season when they were in the IHL. So she is literally one of the largest, most impactful people in the women's hockey space. And she's just absolutely incredible. So excited to hear your interview and to hear you sit down with her. That was such a great intro, Lissa, to such a great woman. And we did get into not only her journey, but family life and her ties to Las Vegas, as you mentioned. I had the pleasure, actually, of talking to Manone on National Girls and Women in Sports Day as well, which felt that much more special. And that's also where we will start our conversation. Well, first off, I think it's so cool that we're able to talk of all days on National Girls and Women in Sports Day. What's the importance of this day to you, Manon? It is very important. I think now that um, we live in a time where women um, are more predominant in a lot of different area that back in the 90s or 80s uh, were not. I remember when I started playing hockey, I was only girl playing hockey. And now you look at today, young girls can start playing at a young age and playing an all-girls team. And um, you see some woman referee in the NFL and you saw a young woman uh, kicker in football. And it's just amazing to see that uh, all those women uh, take on different roles that was not necessarily made for women or people thought that women could do. Like I cannot think of looking back when I started five years old, I was the only girl in the entire um, city of Quebec that was playing hockey. And now to know how many girls are playing and how much the sports accepted on a woman's side. And you can go to the Olympics, you can have a scholarship in college and you can play pro hockey. It's, uh, it's great to see how far it came. And I know you personally, obviously, ha- have done work with the Red Wings and their youth program and are involved in overseeing the girls program there. Is that just another way for you to help continue to like foster that next generation and help continue to grow the sport and girls in the sport? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I learned so many great life lessons by playing the game and uh, having the chance to give back and uh, coaching uh, helped me to stay in hockey, even if it's not the same than playing the game, but uh, to be able to not just teach those girls things on the ice, but off the ice and how they can use what they learn through being part of a team and being a leader uh, later in life. That's so important to me because that's when I realized uh, facing different adversity when I was older, 
I remember how I handled them when I was younger in sports and it really helped me. So I think it's so important to for those young girls to be able to, to see that. That's such a good point too, how things that you do learn in youth sports can carry over into your day-to-day and adult life. You mentioned teamwork and leadership, but self-control, accountability, all these different things. And I was actually, I was looking at your Instagram and I pulled up this picture here for our listeners. It's this great photo of Manon at five years old, dressed in a leotard and ballet slippers. And your caption says, one day you ditched that get up and chose 20 plus pounds of hockey gear and never looked back. And we're all so much better for it that you made that decision. But it made me wonder, what was it about hockey for you early on that got you hooked that you didn't stick with the more traditional activities for girls? I think my two brothers was a hockey player. My dad was a coach. And my brother, every time they want to practice their shot, they would dress me up as a goalie and put me in net and shoot pucks at me. I was asking them every day to play with them. And that's what they, kind of a target for them. And I started liking it. And I started liking the sports. And I started liking the fact that uh, as a goalie, you're able to make a difference in the game. So I was excited about that. And it's when uh, at the dinner table, one day my dad uh, was telling my mom they were going to a tournament and they didn't know which kid they're going to pick to be a goalie for the tournament. Nobody show any interest to be the goalie. So I look at him and I like, why not me? I do it all the time for my brother here. And uh, I wanted to be just more than just playing with them. I wanted to be part of a team and experiencing what every week I was there with my mom watching them play. And at this point, I was like, why not me? Nobody wants to do it anyway. So I want to do it. (laughs) Well, and I think that says a lot about you that instead of just looking around and seeing that there weren't other girls playing, you took the ball and rolled with it and said, why not me? Where did that come from in you to have that mentality? I think my parents, uh, my parents are both like very athletic and competitive people and they work hard. They want to accomplish great things in life. And they, they've been great for us. Uh, My younger brother played in the NHL too. And both, I would have never made it to where we made it without their support. And I think that they guide us along the way. And, uh, I think my dad, too, uh, when I started playing, I remember uh, he didn't try to protect me from different adversity that I would be facing. Uh, one year, I wanted to try out at the highest level um, because I started to do well and everybody was going to try out there and I wanted to try out. And they told my dad, don't bring your daughter. We're not going to take a girls on the team. And uh, But I wanted to go. He didn't tell me they wouldn't wouldn't take me. And uh, I said, I still, I, I wanted to go and I went there and I got caught. And when I got caught, like I was disappointed. And, but I asked my dad to go outside and practice and get better because I said, one day I will make that team. And I went back the next year and they told my dad the same thing. Don't bring her. We're not going to take her girls on the team. She'll take the spot of one of our boys that's going to make it to the NHL one day. So, um, and my dad would not tell me they wouldn't take me and still took me to try out. So I used to say to people, he really loved me, my dad. It's not the fact that he didn't love me, but uh, I think he saw that every time I was getting caught, uh, it was it become a motivation for me to, to get better and work harder. And I was determined to, to make that team one day, and I did. That's amazing. I mean, I feel like a lot of people set goals and have ideas for things that they want to do and accomplish, but to actually face all of that adversity like you did and to be able to 
accomplish it is such an incredible feat. At, at what point, I guess, did you realize that what you were doing was so different and was so unique and that you were constantly having to prove yourself to other people? No, I think I actually after the, the two years that I made uh, the highest level, and I was then about 13, 14 years old. Um, and I played it because the fact that I got cut three years prior that work harder, not only I made that team, but I was playing the big game. I was playing the final of tournament. And after that year, all the goalie that play in that double level got invited to the midget triple A camp, which is like right before major junior. This is when you start having scout watching you. And I was the only one not invited. And I think I started realizing that um, it was going to be very difficult for a female to even try to make it higher because I knew at that point that 13, 14 years old, when you play the best game, you know, the best, um, the most important game during the season, you play the final, the coach believe in you. But if you don't get invited and everybody else get invited, you kind of realize, okay, they don't want a girl there. And I had to take a different path than most of the guys. And finally, I got back to uh, one year to be giving a chance to play major junior. And I took that chance. And uh, after that, it was Tampa and I got invited to Tampa. And that's just it, though. Your path did lead you to Tampa. What was and is history that you made becoming the first woman to play in the NHL. And I have to imagine that was just such a whirlwind when you got that invitation to have that moment with this expansion franchise. How would you describe just your reaction to that news in that day? Actually, when I got invited, like at first, like it was kind of surreal. And, uh, and when Phil still said to me, I'm going to send you a letter in the mail and you have two weeks to respond. Like, I didn't think I would get the letter in the mail, <laughs> but I did. And I was really excited. And a lot of people told me, are you not afraid to look stupid there, to look bad? Or you don't even have the experience and most of the boys that's going there or some people were saying to me, they only invite you because you're a girl. And then at that point, I told myself so many times people said no to me because I was a female and I didn't have the same path than the boys because I was a female. They they were pushing me away from that, but I continued to work hard. I said, this time, I don't care why they're inviting me. At the end of the day, I'm going to have to prove myself there. Um, so I went for it and I didn't want to live my life with regrets and wonder what if in 10 years from now, I would have taken this uh, great opportunity and as a hockey player being so competitive, make it to the highest level possible. You know, it was a dream come true. So I went for it. I feel like that has to be so difficult to know that throughout your life and throughout your career, you're constantly overcoming obstacles to be able to play the game. And then all of a sudden, the narrative shifts to, oh, it's a publicity stunt and they're only inviting her because she's a girl. Like, how do you handle that? You know, it, of course, it's difficult. But at the end of the day, for me, uh, I knew that I had to prove myself on the ice. And that first time I stepped on the ice in Tampa Bay was super important. And we started a, the training camp with a mini tournament. They divided everybody in four different teams. They had two goalie per team. Everybody was playing, each goalie was playing a full period per game. Uh, I was not the first goalie to start on my team. The other goalie started and I was watching the game. But I knew that first time I stepped on the ice, like all the eyes was on me. The media was there. The players were watching, you know, what a girl can do out there. And that first time I did not allow any goal in 14 shots. 
We end up winning the game. I was the only goaltender in the four goaltender that played during that game that did not allow any goal. And I remember right after that, uh, that time on the ice, uh, we had a press conference and that's when Phyllis was so sad you know, the way she played today, you may see her in an exhibition game. And that comment never really went out anywhere. Like, truthfully, what he said, it's if she continued to play the way she plays, she will earn a start. Instead, people were talking, oh, they just put her in an exhibition game for the publicity thing. And they didn't see the fact that Tampa Bay would have never put me in the game if I didn't perform in camp. And at the end of this mini tournament, uh, I finished in the third best average of all the goalie that was there. Um, so when they give me that start, it's because I performed prior to that. The coolest interview that I did was 20 years later at my 20th anniversary. I did a radio st uh, interview with Terry Chris. Terry Chris was a coach back in Tampa Bay. And he was the one interviewing me and he admitted that he was not for a woman uh, to come to camp. He thought that at first Phil was crazy to bring on a girl. And he said, but when we put her in the net for that game, she deserved it because of the way she played in training camp. And for me to hear that 20 years later, after the fact that I did it, was probably one of the most amazing moment. I remember hanging up the phone and I was just like, wow, did I really heard that? That, you know, people are now talking about me deserving to start that game and not, it was just a publicity stunt. That's so, that's so cool. I'm sure it took a lot though for Terry Crisp to admit he was in that camp of feeling like we're crazy to be doing this, but it was something you deserved. Actually, I didn't even know he was feeling that way until he told me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was young, first of all, and I, my English was not very good. And I was just there and it was kind of of whirlwind like it was just crazy I got there the first day and I remember walking into the checking place and they had a pile of mail there and the lady said uh this is for you and I'm like what is this and she's like that's fan mail I'm like what's fan mail she's like people are writing you from all over the world and then I remember even uh they asked me to do a tv show with David Letterman and they were all freaking out that David Lennerman wanted me on the show. And I'm like, who's David Lennerman? I had oh no clue gosh. who he was. And when I went to his show, I did not realize how big he was. I was from Quebec. I didn't speak any English, so I didn't have English TV. And it's not until years later, living in the U.S., seeing that show, seeing the people that was on that show. And I'm like, did I really <laughs> was on that show? Like, and that's when I realized what I did was a big deal for them to want to talk to me. And because when I went there, I was going there to play hockey. I was going there in the same mindset that anybody else to get that chance, to do the best that I can with that chance and see what's going to come out of it. And I did not realize the impact my story would have on people until later when parents would come up to me and said, you're such an inspiration for my daughter or my son has a poster of you in his wall or my son did a project on you in school or even a couple of years ago, uh, Mike McKenna on TV for you guys in Vegas, I did a podcast with him and he said, when I saw you there, that inspiring me, I told myself, if a woman can do it, I can play in the NHL. And that was so cool to hear that not only I inspire women, but also men. 
Yeah, I've heard Mike McKenna say that before. And that was actually something that I wanted to bring up with you too, that your story does transcend. It's not just something that talks about women in the sport, but it can be women and men. It can be um, diversity of race and color in our sport. Just seeing someone who doesn't look one standard way, all of a sudden it's possible. It makes it tangible, makes it real. Is that something that for you personally, you ever really get used to being that figure for so many people? Not that, I don't think you can get used to get, to be that figure. I think that it's more like it's so uh, one of the reasons why I was so excited about the children book that just came out about my story. It's like to know that you can impact people in a positive way and especially with everything that's going on in the world. Um, it, it's such, it's so satisfying. It's probably the most satisfying part of everything I did in hockey, knowing that my story inspired people. And when we talk about the children book and having a chance to inspire young children, because at that young age, they don't know yet what's going on in the world. And if they can see that you don't need to fit a mold of what you should look like, um, and if you're really passionate about something and you work really hard, you can accomplish anything you want. Actually, if you ask you know, what a goaltender in the NHL should look like, it's probably the total opposite of what I look like. Uh, my size, my gender, um, I didn't speak any English. Uh, I had everything going against me when I went to camp, but it didn't stop me to take that chance and went for it and had a great camp. And I can see that book behind you right now. It's called Breaking the Ice. So if if any of you listening have a young one in your life, want them to feel empowered, inspired that they can be whatever they want, it's it's really a perfect read. And, and just in regards, though, to you looking the complete opposite of what a professional goalie would look like, it, it made me think, do you ever battle with being in such a masculine sport, but then also being a feminine woman at the same time and trying to balance these two polar opposite parts of your life? I guess I, when I was younger and I started playing, that was so important for my mom that I continue to be a girl, that I would not like, that I can play with the boys, and but I would dress like a girl. And I remember my grandma was like so, not upset with my mom, but kind of like, why are you doing this, putting your daughter in hockey <laughs> to my mom? But as soon as she started accepting it and see how much I loved it, uh, every time we had a hockey jacket for the team, she would knit me a sweater, a girly sweater to match the team. So I didn't look like the boys out there. And it really, and I was really girly too. I love playing Barbie dolls. I love like dressing up. I love going shopping, but I had something. I love playing hockey too. And I guess between my mom, my grandma, like oh, I was managing both, but also you dealing with, um, a lot of people look at me and said, like, you don't, you don't look like a hockey player. Yeah. And that was a frustrating, like, comment to me. I'm like, what? What should I look like? I should be, like, big, heavy, not taking care of myself, look masculine to play hockey? Like, that part, I didn't like it. I feel like that's something I've heard from a number of women who are female athletes. And for many, there is that unique balance to strike where you are a girl and it's okay to say you like being a girl and you appreciate that part of you, but you're also an athlete and you're competitive and tough and you can be both. Yes. And with that, I'm also thinking about your book and inspiring kids about not giving up on their dreams and was curious if you ever along the way, given the adversity that you have faced, ever thought about quitting or if you ever thought 
this wasn't going to be for you? I guess I, I face uh, the thing I said, always tell that story. It's when I was younger, when I told my dad that I wanted, why not me going and play goalie? I remember my dad said, okay, I'll take you to practice. We'll see what you can do. And a week prior to that, every day he would take me down to the basement, dress me up as goalie and start shooting pucks at me to prepare me. He wanted to make sure that I was prepared and I would be good out there knowing that for the parents there, it would be different. Um, and I remember getting a puck on my shoulder and it hurt and I went down and my dad looked at me and said, Manon, get used to it. If you want to play hockey, sometimes it's going to hurt. So you just need to get used to it. And I knew at that moment that if that's a sport I wanted to do, sometimes it's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's going to be hard, but I just need to, to get through it. And um, that really changed me. Like I was, I was young, I was five, but I was determined to wanted to play hockey. So I listened to my dad and um, that first time on the ice, he, he made sure that he put my helmet on before I even entered the rink because he didn't want the parents to know that I was a girl. He wanted to make sure that people would judge me as my performance on the ice and not because I was a girl. And nobody knew I was a girl the first time on the ice. And I had a great practice. And after the practice, when they realized I was a girl, it was too late for them to complain about, oh my gosh, she's a girl, she cannot be out there. And, and it really, like, I think my dad, like, taught me lessons throughout this whole journey. And you know, all those adversity for me become a motivation because if I had to hide myself the first time that I was out there and having to prove myself, um, it was inside of me. And then when those people were saying no to me, I said, I'm going to prove you're, you wrong. And that made me work harder. And um, I continued to be like this in life. Uh, you know, everybody faced adversity, not just in sports, in life, with your job, in different ways. And it's, to me, I learned it's not the adversity that you face, but really how you handle it, how mm -hmm. you respond to it. It's going to make a difference. And I also wanted to know whether it was on your team or teams that were facing you as competitors, what was the reception like? Did people come across as open, harsh? Were they harder on you, easier on you? And I say that in regards to the men's league you played in and also the women's leagues because I'm sure there's a whole added pressure being the woman who played in the NHL. Yeah, I think for the most part, like the player on my team, when they realized I was there and the way I was working, and I was always the first one on the ice, always the last one leaving. And um, most of them accept me. You always have once in a while someone that is not happy to see a girl taking their spot. Um, but the players that play against me, that was the opposite. They didn't want a girl to stop them. So they would take it a lot harder on me that they would on another guy. So because for them, it would be embarrassing for girls to stop them. And I remember uh, making a big save when I was young uh, on a player on a breakaway and we ended up winning the game. And at the end, when we were shaking hands, that player like literally punched me in the stomach because he was so frustrated to uh, have a girl stop him. And I couldn't say anything. Like I just kept going. And even my dad saw it. Like I didn't want him to say anything because I didn't want to feel like I was, um, I didn't want to be a distraction. I didn't want people to say, this is why we don't want girls on the team because she complained about this or, so I just took it and took it. And um, when I played with the guys, I always had the spotlight on me 
we want to see what the girls can do. You will always judge. If you allowed a bad goal, it's because you're a girl. If you get hurt, it's because you're a girl. I remember in major junior, uh, when I played in the game, I got a slap shot in the head. My helmet broke, cut my eye open. I needed stitches. It was bleeding so much. So I had about like six, seven stitches over my eyes. And after that day, some media was saying, this is why girls should not play hockey. Because we all know that a man with the same helmet, that helmet would have not broke. But because I was a woman, the helmet broke. So it was like really frustrating to hear that. But then when I went and played with the national team on the women's team and went to the Olympics and the world uh, championship, now I was the female that just played in the NHL, that did an NHL game. So I had to be perfect with them. I had to be better. And the expectation was like, like big there too. So I guess I, in both side, I always had to prove myself. It was a lot of pressure, but I guess if you pick the position of a goaltender, you need to be willing to deal with the pressure. <laughs> and for me, I felt like more pressure that I had better than I was. And I don't know for what reason, but that was kind of in my makeup. It's incredible to hear, I mean, just given all of the different things that you had to deal with, you're so positive about everything. Like at the end of the day, this was this was still a, a moment and a part of your life that helped shape you and, and made you who you are. Absolutely. I think that the rest of my life, you can ask my kids, you can ask all the kids that I coach, the parents. I always try to find a positive thing that comes out to anything negative. Um, even this past few, like year and a half with COVID, like what everybody has to go through and everybody is so down and negative and I always try to find a silver lining all of this, uh, good things that come out of that, like family time that I spend with my kids that I would have never spent if that, and that's who I am. Like, because if being very negative, it doesn't help you. Um, I always tell my young girls, like if we get scored on and I see someone crying, you're just telling your brain that you're done. You're not going to be able to go back out there and perform because you're defeating, like you're, you're just telling yourself, like, I cannot win. And I said, it should be the opposite. When someone scored on you, you should be like, you know what? That just pushed me to want to work harder and go back and, and score another goal. And I guess that was me in that, like as a goalie, if you get defeated when you get scored, you're never going to last as a goalie. That's the opposite. That should be the, the motivation for you to be more focused and ready to go. And I guess that's how I look at life and every adversity that I had to face. That's, I mean, great advice for sports and for life. And I love that you that you did bring up your sons because one stop on your path was here in Las Vegas, which will be cool for our fans to hear, playing with the Thunder back in 95, a few stops in Nevada, really, with the Aces, also playing up in Reno. And I believe your oldest son was even born here, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was born in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's so cool. So can you share kind of some of the memories and what Las Vegas means to you? Yeah, I, it was just a great experience in Las Vegas. Like, uh, and especially the year that I played, that was the year of the lockout. So we had like a ton of guys that would have been in the NHL. Uh, I remember Alexi uh, Yashin and Radic Bonk. And we had such a loaded team of like just great hockey player. Clint Malachak was a goalie. Uh, Poké Radic was a real goalie. Like I can name all of them. They were just amazing hockey players. So uh, to have the chance to be part of that team. And I was the third goaltender. 
So I would stay at the end of every practice to take more shots. And all those young guys would stay longer. And, you know, I was their target this time. <laughs> it used to be my brother's target, but now it was the young guys I was getting ready to go play in the NHL a couple of years later. And, and to be part of that team was really amazing. And uh, also, I remember, too, when I played my first game that people were able to bet on my games and find out, like, is she going to win? How many times, you know, how many saves she's going to make? And I could not believe that, that you were in a place where it matters so much um, the way you play. But it was just a really, really cool experience. And obviously my son was born there and I moved a little bit around after that, but um, he ended up being a goalie too. Uh, now I wish he was not because it's the worst thing for the, to be the mom of a goalie. Uh, I love the position. I love the pressure when you play, but when it's your kid, it's totally different, but um, he love it and uh, he's doing well at it. That's awesome. And you mentioned betting here in Vegas. It's such a different animal. You're right. And I'm pretty sure, wouldn't you have skated at the old Santa Fe station rink? So you're also practicing at a hotel casino. It's a different world. Yeah. And I actually, actually, I was living there for the entire year because oh, wow. I was moving to Vegas by myself. I was a young girl and I was like, I didn't want to live by myself in an apartment. So that's where I lived the entire year. I had the ice rink, practice rink right there. And it was easy for me to go to practice. And uh, it was a good time. I really enjoy Vegas. Uh, a lot of great area there. The fans were absolutely amazing. And I'm not surprised they have a team now. And I'm not surprised to see how great it is uh, for hockey over there. And I've got the video emblazed in my memory right now of you ringing the siren during the playoffs year one. How cool of a moment and just fun of a moment was that to be in that environment? Actually, it was really cool. And it was a lot of pressure because both my kids told me before I left, don't embarrass yourself over there. You better like make sure that it makes a lot of noise because just you have to realize you have to pump up the entire arena to get this team going and they were all freaking out that I would not be able to do it as hard as possible so it was funny you made them very very proud I'm sure and I wanted to follow up actually on your thought though about being a goalie mom now because you talked a lot about your connection with your dad but what was it like on your mom seeing all that you went through yeah, the funniest story. I realized that when Dylan, uh, his first state championship, he was playing in the final. He was the one starting and he was probably about like, I would say 10, 11 years old. And I remember waking up in the morning and having butterfly in my stomach. So I pick up the phone. I call my mom. I'm like, mom, I have a question for you. I said, I don't know if it's normal, but Dylan is playing in the final today. And I woke up and I have butterfly in my stomach. I'm kind of nervous. And my mom said to me, it's payback time. And that's when I realized, like, I'm like, poor you. <laughs> I cannot believe I made you, I put you through this all the time that I play. And it was even worse for her because not only I was a goalie, but I was the only girl and all the attention was on me. And I remember when I was the first girl playing in a big peewee tournament in Quebec, they had 15,000 people there. And I was starting the game and they had a video on my mom the entire game and to see her, how nervous she was. Now I look back and I'm like, this is exactly what I looked like when my son played. <laughs> That's amazing. You know how it feels now. Um, okay, we'll, we'll leave you on this though before we let you go. We always try to ask our guests their rookie reminder. So if you had one piece of advice that you would go back and give your younger self, your rookie self, what would you tell young Minone? 
you know, I think that I, I would do what I did. It's never give up and never let someone tell you no and stop you. And, um, and basically what I told my kids, uh, the girls that I coach all the time, hard work and respect is going to take you far in life, not just in sports. I'll show, Manon, just dropping knowledge and great advice. And we're so appreciative that you took the time to be a part of the Game Misconduct podcast today. Thank you so much. And thank you for all you have done for the rise and influence of women in hockey and in the sports world. You truly are a pioneer and an inspiration. And we're all so lucky to have you. Thanks for having me. Stormy, she is so awesome. (laughs) What a cool human being. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was just really enlightening, I think, to hear about all the things that she had to deal with. And one of my favorite questions that I asked her, which I think is interesting and something that a lot of female athletes have dealt with, is being able to be feminine but being athletic at the same time. And it is such a fine line. Yeah, that part really stood out to me because I know when I was younger, I went through a really strong tomboy phase, which I think a lot of girls who play sports go through that phase where in a way like that wasn't really me. I was always a major girly girl when I was younger and I was I reached this age where it was, you know, I do care about, you know, my hair and makeup and the way I dress. And like that was always just a part of my personality. But I felt to be taken seriously in the sports world that I had to kind of abandon that. So that was really refreshing to hear her talking about how she kind of struggled with that side and that balance. And I think a lot of female athletes nowadays do a really great job of you know, striking that balance and saying, yeah, you can be a strong feminine woman and you can be a incredible athlete too. You don't have to pick one or the other. And if it's not you to be super feminine, like that's okay too, but you can be both. You can care about wearing your makeup and you can care about the way your hair looks and still be a phenomenal hockey player, a phenomenal soccer player. Especially her being the only woman in an all-male sport at that time, she said straight up that she didn't like people saying, you don't look like a hockey player. Like, what's a hockey player supposed to look like? And another thing that we talked about with her, too, playing with, with both men and women later on in her career was that she found that she had to be perfect in pretty much every situation because when she was playing with the men, the guys would play it on her a little bit harder. But then she goes and plays in a women's league and, oh, you're the woman that played in the NHL you have to be the best. That's got to be so hard on you from a pressure standpoint, but she was so positive through everything. I was really in awe of that. Yeah. I I don't know how she did it because listening to her describe her journey, I had multiple moments of, I don't know if I could have done that. If I could have went through some of the struggles and at times, you know, she I'm sure felt like an outsider being the only woman. And then, like you said, being kind of the different woman when you are playing on your woman's team. So the strength that she had to put all the BS aside, it's it's admirable. And that's why I feel like she's such a great, strong role model for younger women, because that's what I would, if I were in her shoes, I want to say that I would react the same way that she did. But I don't know if I if I would have. I don't know if there's times I would have just reached the point of, okay, this this isn't worth it. 
Well, that's why I asked her, like, did you ever think about quitting? And it really never seemed like it crossed her mind the way that she talked about it. In this podcast, we we say a lot of the time, there's a reason you and I aren't professional athletes. (laughs) (laughs) And this is one of those instances, because that was what I was thinking hearing her talk was, yeah, I would have I think I would have (laughs) quit. So sad, but so true. And also the fact, though, that she didn't even realize the impact she was having at that time until so much later. Like, it really took until relatively recently with other people coming to her and telling her what an inspiration she's been for her to fully appreciate what she's meant to so many other people, which, again, I just I found really special and and really impressive. And it was kind of cool this past week as well for our show being a show that talks about all these game breaking women in hockey that it's also going on in other sports as well. Of course, Um, we're not too far removed yet from the Super Bowl where you see three females working in the game, two as assistant coaches, one as a referee. And yes, Alyssa, this is also my segue to revisiting our Super Bowl bet. I was hoping you would have forgotten, but (laughs) unlucky for me, you showed up with my game that I had to play. So we'll talk about the good before we talk about the bad. The good is the woman. Loved it how they were kind of hyping each other up to, especially the two assistant coaches being on different teams. But it'll be exciting when we are at a day when that's not different or new or groundbreaking. And we're heading in that direction where women are finding their place. Uh, in sports and it's it's awesome for those women it's awesome representation matters so much in the industry that we work in and those women are awesome figures for young girls to see that they can they belong in football they belong in hockey they belong in soccer they belong in basketball you know anywhere that men belong women belong it's just really really cool to see again I feel like every episode we've said if you can see it you can be it and that was just another reminder of that and and now to the Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl me winning our wager and somehow the fact that the Detroit Lions have been brought into this whole conversation it's just really really interesting stuff here us Michiganders we stick together and I'm all on Alec Martinez's side here so If you guys didn't see, Stormy went around the room asking each player for their Super Bowl prediction last week. And it was pretty evenly split between the Chiefs and the Bucks. And one player picked the Detroit Lions. And And he wouldn't change. He wouldn't change his pick. Good for him. I admire... I admire him for not, you know, sticking with the Lions. Although people, including Alec, knew that the Lions were not in the Super Bowl. But he's just, he's proud of where he came from. He's, you know, right from right around Metro Detroit, just like I am. And that's the kind of fan base the Lions have and need. Thank you, Alec. I was thoroughly entertained, but I did have to let him and the world know that was watching our AT&T Sportsnet broadcast that day that the Lions have only won one playoff game since 1957. And yeah, we know, Stormy. I'm just, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't, though. So I had to make sure everyone. <laughs> Thanks. No, Appreciate I'm sorry. That was, that was a lot of fun, though. That was probably one of my favorite just pregame hits I've ever done in a game because it was just so random. And, um, and then as for our wager, so I won. Feels great. Yeah. Feels okay. great. Well, the Buccaneers won, Stormy. You just 
won because of them. You didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's not let the facts get in the way of a good story, Alyssa. <laughs> but um, we took some suggestions on Twitter for what the loser of this bet should have to do. And we both decided, first and foremost, that we wanted to donate money to the cause of the winner's choice. So I selected Best Buddies, and we will do that after we're done recording here. But instead of... Everyone's sub- a winner with the donation. Exactly. But instead of subjecting you to a death chip or, you know, whatever some of the, like, that Carolina Reaper pepper, whatever that was. Yeah, or people who suggested that I ask players questions that you were feeding me through an earpiece. <laughs> yeah. So apparently a lot of people wanted us to get fired. Yeah. From this so bed. many things like even asking us to wear a San Jose Sharks jersey or something like that. Do you want me to have my job still or how does this work? Come on. You got So I liked the idea of eating something though. So I had Alyssa do the bean boozled game. Can, can you tell people how that went for you? Yeah. Maybe so what I've is. never I've never played this game. Apparently, Stormy has is a seasoned bean boozle veteran. <laughs> so it's a assortment of jelly beans, and half of them are normal jelly bean flavors, and half are just the grossest flavors you could think of. And there is like you, barf flavor. Um, oh my god! Rotten, rotten egg. egg. <laughs> Stink yes. bug. Um, I'm trying to think of grass or mud or yeah, dog. There's a lot of gross ones. You didn't get the dog food one, but I thought that that would have been good. So you lift up the lid and then one pops up and for every gross looking one, there's a twin (laughs) good tasting one. So there's a little chart and you look and you're like, this could be strawberry or it could be dog barf and you have no idea until you eat it. So Stormy made me eat five of them. My first one was dead fish. And I swear I tasted dead fish in my mouth the entire day yesterday. It was like my mask smelled like dead fish. I don't know if there's anything funnier than watching like a grown up adult woman like spit out food. (laughs) I I had to. It was so gross. My next couple were normal flavored. I got like a coconut and uh, I think a strawberry or tutti frutti. And then I got (laughs) spoiled milk. Oh, my goodness. And these jelly beans actually tasted just like they sounded. You're like, how can a jelly bean taste like old milk? It tasted spot on. Like we've all, it tasted the way that an old carton of milk smells. (laughs) Well, and you kept trying to smell them too. And I was like, no, that defeats the purpose. But what I thought was the funniest part of all this was the delayed reaction you had. Like you couldn't taste it at first. It took a few chews for you to really know what the flavor was. And then you would freak out and it was just, unbelievable you stepped up and i'm proud of you this is a hockey show though so we can we can talk a little bit of hockey i suppose um last time we talked to everybody the golden knight schedule was very much so in the air so we took a break um from the podcast and from the ice for the players and the vgk now have 10 wins they're fastest to reach that mark in the team's young history and Alyssa, that's with like a lot of moving pieces going on on the golden knights roster yeah so last Last time we chatted on the podcast, that was before there were any games that were delayed. So there's been a couple rescheduled games that have been rescheduled and then played. And there's been players in and out. But the Golden Knights have seen Thomas Nozick 
Petrangelo, Robin Leonard, Theodore in and out of the lineup this last little bit, either because of injury or because of COVID protocol. And you can throw the coaching staff in with that too, that those, there was a group of coaching staff out for a little bit. So the Golden Knights have had their fair share of adversity this last little bit, but it doesn't seem to be stopping them. No, and what was kind of interesting about this whole situation, the moving parts with the team's roster, is that when Alex Petrangelo came back, it was such fortunate timing because that was also the first game that Shea Theodore was unavailable. So it was like, okay, we were down our top pair defensemen, and then all of a sudden we find out that Shea's going to be day-to-day, and it was very fortunate that Alex became available out of the COVID-19 protocol at that moment. And and Robin Leonard, also somebody who's not available right now day-to-day, and we're very fortunate in the sense as well that Marc-Andre Fleury has been so incredibly dialed in. Yeah, like (laughs) 7-1 and on the year. There's only been one game where he's given up more than two goals, and that was, of course, the Anaheim game when the team found out in the second intermission that Tomasz Nosek would not be available to come out for the third period due to COVID-19. And you can see how a group would be rattled finding out that kind of information and still have 20 minutes of a game to play. I know I would be, but it just goes to show, generally speaking, what a rock he has been back there. He's been so good. And I in his uh, post-game interview with NBC on Sunday after the one nothing shutout against Colorado, he was asked if he's found the fountain of youth. And of course, whatever Flowers asked something like that, he immediately just starts complimenting other people. So he compliments the training staff and everyone on the back, back end of, you know, helping him stay fit and stay healthy. But it's so funny because he just he's playing. I feel like we've said this probably a hundred times since Flower joined the Golden Knights, but he's playing some of his best hockey right now. He looks incredible, and that win against Colorado was his 63rd career shutout, and he's approaching 500 wins in his career, too. So he is just, he's clicking. Yeah, and I was... We always kind of look up these obscure stats, and it was career win number 473 for Flower. And the exact numbers were if he wins 27 or more of his next 38 games, he will tie or beat Martin Brodeur in number of games needed to reach 500. So it's pretty cool to think that if he were to remain on this pace, he could reach a legend like that. You should bring that that up to him because he's so competitive that whenever he makes a jump on the all-time wins list he's always like who who's ahead of me how many how many more wins do I have to get (laughs) so it's he's such a competitive person that if you brought up that stat to him that would probably give him the extra little the little push to get there honestly and in terms of the fountain of youth thing I'm surprised nobody's brought up William Carlson's comments on flower recently where he was asked in a media availability how does Marc-Andre Fleury do it um, and he said, well, he's he's ripped. <laughs> he stays in sh- And I was just dying laughing because he wasn't talking about necessarily off the top the work that he puts in and yada, yada, yada. He just said, oh, man, like he's physically there. <laughs> it's so funny that you you see that with some of the veteran players, because that's what guy said about Derek England too is that he just was in incredible shape and you look at their ages which are 
quote unquote older in the the sports world, young in life, but older in the sports world. And you, it's really admirable the commitment that some of the the veteran players have to staying in shape and working that much harder to be competitive on the ice. And you can throw flower into that conversation too. And Pete DeBoer said multiple times this season that he's been the best player for the Golden Knights, which is saying something because there's a lot of guys who have been having tremendous starts to their season. Well, and I mean, the one loss that he's had this year was when he gave up just one goal to Anaheim. It was a 1-0 yeah. loss um, earlier this week. I believe it was the 11th. And then this past week, four straight games now that he's played, including a back-to-back against San Jose and against Colorado and only gave up three combined goals in those last three games. So it's been really impressive. And just be because now I did, uh, I don't know why, like light bulb just went off. This wasn't something we planned to talk about, but that San Jose game, how cool for head coach Pete DeBoer and assistant coach Steve Spot to make their return to SAP Center. Must have been a lot nicer for them knowing they could walk out of there with a win, but has to be uh, a weird feeling. And it's funny because Rocky Thompson, who was the Chicago Wolves head coach, when they were the Golden Knights AHL affiliate is now coaching with San Jose. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because you saw him on the other bench. You see Pete DeBoer on our bench. It's like, what type of Twilight Zone are we living in? <laughs> no, for sure. And I mean, Bob Bugner, who is the head coach of the Sharks now, used to be Pete's assistant as well. And it was cool to hear from Pete how he feels about Bob and that they, they've known each other since they were in high school. They played against each other in, in junior and some pro hockey. They became Become really, really great close friends. And like, there's not hostility within that relationship. He said that if there was anybody that was going to be, you know, in a position to replace his job, he was glad that it was somebody like Bob and that he was very deserving of the opportunity. And Bob kind of conversely said how bittersweet of a moment it was for him personally, because he was so grateful to have the opportunity to be the head coach of the San Jose Sharks on an interim basis and now obviously full time. But you never want your opportunities to come that way. And I mean, they they even shared a story that they drove together from the airport uh, back home that day. And I think the way that Pete talked about it was with a lot of wisdom intact. Because like he said, it's a business. And you know that if you're hired as a head coach, that you're probably one day going to get fired from that position because that's just the way that head coaching jobs work in the NHL. And him to be able to look back on his time with San Jose and look at the people whose you know positions he's taken and vice versa and speak so highly of those teams and organizations and those people really says a lot. And I think it's how most coaches feel. I've obviously I've never been an NHL head coach or anything close to it, but you hear a lot of coaches talking that way that, you know, it is a business and they are just people. They're, you know, 31 (laughs) people have those current positions. So, um, yeah, him talking about that had to have been really special for him to go back there. But I, I really loved the way he was so open about the experience of coming from San Jose to Vegas and now going back for that game for the first time. I always look back to his introductory press conference when he said coming to Vegas was kind of like meeting an ex-girlfriend and it didn't end well. It was a little awkward at first. Um, but but seeing him walk off of the ice in San Jose with just this beaming smile after a, a, another win that he's been able to secure in that building for his new team, it was really, really cool. And just for me personally, being in there, similar to team 
T-Mobile Arena, maybe not as dramatic as the extent of T-Mobile without fans. SAP Center was really weird without people in it because especially against the Golden Knights, you're so used to that fan base being so rabid and so ferocious and just like hating our guts <laughs> um, that you didn't really feel that. So thank goodness we at least got a little Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane chirping at each other. <laughs> you can always count on that. And something that is also going to be weird without fans is our outdoor game in Lake Tahoe that's coming up because these outdoor games that the league puts on are typically such spectacles. You have so many fans packed into these stadiums and outdoor venues and it's the players have talked about it a little bit that it's going to feel like the outdoor hockey that they knew growing up, which is really cool. And I mean, I'm assuming, Stormy, you've never skated on an outdoor rink? No. Have you? One time I've skated outside in New York last year when we were there. I went down to Rockefeller Center and like, I mean, and it's the worst ice on the planet, but that's my only experience skating outside. That doesn't count as outdoor hockey. No. No, so you haven't. (laughs) No, but that's my, that's honestly my only time though, even skating outside. So it's really, really cool. And it's something that. I'm very much so looking forward to sharing our content with everybody this week because we've already been getting ahead of some of our one-on-one interviews with the players who have shared those childhood stories and memories. And Alex Tuck, his whole life growing up, his dad made this incredible like backyard rink for him and his brother. And every year it would just get better and better. And it went from being, you know, extremely off kilter and off balance to being perfectly leveled and measured (laughs) and putting up his own boards and a net so that you don't lose the puck and just really, really cool, cool stuff. And for a lot of the players on the Golden Knights and around the National Hockey League, where they got their start was just playing for hours and hours on end outside. And to have them kind of play on this massive scale now in Lake Tahoe for this outdoor game and nationally televised, but to have it be reminiscent of just the fresh air on their face and snow coming down that they remember as a kid, I think will be a really special event. It's going to be so fun. I cannot wait personally to get up there. I actually haven't been to like Tahoe before. So it's been on my list since moving to Vegas. And this is a pretty good first opportunity to get up there. So it's going to be just gorgeous too. And that's something that I I think everyone knows, but like, let's just take a second to acknowledge how beautiful this rink is going to be. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, Mark Stone's only concern about playing the game was for the golf course fairway. He's such a big golf guy that, and he's watched the celebrity golf tournament that's played there uh, at the Edgewood Tahoe Resort course. And he was just like, I just hope we don't damage the course. Like, I'm really excited about this, but I just, you know, really hope. Maybe this will be a good Only way Mark for Stone. him. For, maybe this will be a good way for Mark Stone to get into the celebrity golf tournament. Like, maybe this is hey, his moment. That. That's an idea. We see the the long game he's playing here. Right? (laughs) Sell yourself. I like it. Um, But it'll be such a a fun event. And if the games itself are anything like the game we saw earlier this week for for game one of the four-game set here we're going to see with Colorado, then we're definitely in for a treat. These two teams, I feel like, are so evenly matched that it had such a playoff feel game one, and it'll be awesome to see if if that kind of pace can continue. I love when the Golden Knights in Colorado play each other. It's always such a great 
game to watch. And it's, I mean, it did feel like a playoff game. And that's saying something considering the arena was empty. Usually you equate playoff feelings to the energy from the crowd. But this was just based on what was happening on the ice. And both teams just, it's it's always a good game for the most part. There's been some, there's been some stinkers. Yeah, we don't need to talk about last year's regular season. <laughs> we don't want to talk okay. about them. We're going to just focus on the positive. But no, it's going to be a great game. It's going to, we're in the midst of four in a row against Colorado. So we are uh, going to Tahoe, then going to Colorado and then coming back here. I think I'm thinking a couple days ahead at a time, but I can tell you're already looking ahead to the calendar in March when we're on the road for 10 days. (laughs) It's that that point in the season, Stormy, where it's just, is it a game day or a non-game day? You don't know what day of the week it is or, you know, just where do I have to be? I saw that on Twitter the other day, too. Um, A reporter that I know from Charlotte was saying, just to my sports media friends, you guys often forget what day it is because I feel like I never know and I said the exact same thing it's just game day or non-game day for me at this point yeah well I noticed that when you said the game on the 11th happened this week that you had no idea what what day it was (laughs) that's okay I'm right there with you but we're gonna create some really fun exciting content this weekend it's gonna be things that we've never done before because we've never had an outdoor outdoor game before so it's going to be a really fun weekend so make sure you follow golden knights on social and see all of the fun uh fun stuff we're producing for you and stormy it's time to get weird with our social segments (laughs) our favorite today's question is from sherry and this is a good question i had to think about it i'm putting you on the spot so you can answer first but she said i would like to know what your game day routine consists of and does it change when the games are on the road so at first when you said sherry i was really questioning whether or not this was going to be coming from my mom but i feel like Is she knows how do you spell her name c-h-e-r-i that's how okay that's not how she was born with it spelled but that's how she spells it on facebook because <laughs> this she, question is from facebook so this might be from your mom oh my gosh i wonder but i'll just give you a quick rundown on my mom really fast <laughs> She spells it C-H-E-R-I because she loved Cher so much growing up that she just started spelling her name that way when she was young and it just stuck with her. But it's really spelled S-H-E-R-R-I on her birth certificate. So that's hilarious. That's a great tidbit. What are the chances that would get brought up? Love it. (laughs) Got to tell her that she's got a she's got a segment here. (laughs) Yeah, let's get weird question of the day. But my game day routine, well, it's a little bit different now, especially in COVID. But basically, every day, no matter what, I show up to the rink at eight thirty to get a COVID test, and then I kind of do my prep pre-morning skate and then the players do morning skate and I watch that and I see if anything new has happened um, or interesting or if somebody's not there why are they not there I gotta ask all these questions then we have the players and coach media availability and I see if anything interesting comes from that that I want to talk about in the game and I kind of make my bullet pointed list and then I have a couple hours to really prepare everything before the game normally and then drive to the game to get there three hours before Stormy's job 
job is research and prep work. This is the <laughs> this is the part you guys don't see. Stormy does so much prep work. She's it's it's admirable. Now working right next to you, she's just constantly a little fact searching machine. So Thank that's what you. most of her game day I can attest. Yeah, I was gonna say we've got a few hours usually before we get to the rink, and I always tell myself I'm gonna go home and have all this time to eat lunch or take a nap and it just never happens that way I literally go home change my clothes fill up my water bottle and head to the rink to be there (laughs) early and then once I get to the rink I do an arrival interview with a player as soon as he gets there and help out with whatever else needs helping out and then I'm into game mode so that doesn't really change that much on the road nowadays it did before this season I would say we have a little bit more time typically on the road than home games uh just on my side of things there's you know we're playing on the ropes there's not really that the setup and the fan coverage that we would provide to the extent we would at home games, but it doesn't really change that much on the road anymore. Yeah, and like I feel bad. Like my game day is not that interesting. Like, no. Aside from the it's, game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The games, but there's not really any fun routine things. I listen to the killers driving to every home game. You do? I didn't mm-hmm. know that. So that's my one little pregame routine that has stuck since the first season. Trying to think if I had any superstitions. Last year, I used to eat a strawberry pop tart every game day, <laughs> but now because our and every and non-game I, day. But <laughs> I, I, lo- I love pop tarts. Have you ever had a chocolate fudge pop tart toasted with I can't believe it's not butter on it? Hashtag game changer. Anyways, you had me until the can't believe it's not butter because I don't know what type of savage human being puts butter on a pop tart. It's basically like a little pastry. That's disgusting. No. It's, I love going, butter, but that's really gross, Stormy. Going back to Sherry, when I was a little kid, she'd use the spray, I can't believe it's not butter, on my pop <laughs> I would use that for corn, for corn on the cob. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah. But that was before when my cubicle was out here in the main part of the office where we have a break room and there's like a little mini shop that you can buy Pop-Tarts there. And now that we're in this little kitchen back here, I don't have easily accessible Pop-Tarts at my fingertips every day, so I have to bring things like carrots, which it's not going well. It usually means we just go and buy lunch most days, so uh, send in, if you have any questions for us, send them in, because apparently now we are just using our parents' questions, so if you have any. <laughs> I really hope that wasn't my mom. That's really funny. It's um, hilarious. We also, I'm... You weren't here for this, but I do have a game misconduct for this week. And oh. it entails a player. We were doing an interview this week once once everybody got back to play with Max Pacioretty. And he's leaving and he sees my little desk area and he sees this giant crumble cookie on it and looked over at it and was like, is that yours? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's excessive. <laughs> And I said, I'm skinny, Max, and ran away. <laughs> so the Are game, you the misconduct so or is Max? <laughs> I'm the, I think it's both because he's the misconduct for calling me out on my cookie, but I'm also the misconduct for being a baby and sprinting and hiding after he's <laughs> hiding it. with your cookie, emotionally <laughs> eating your crumble cookie. But anybody who has has not seen or had a crumble cookie before they're massive and dense. They're massive. 
And yes. So Stormy likes pop tarts with spray butter <laughs> and crumble cookies, and she brings carrots and that she doesn't eat. So that's Stormy Bond and Tony for you guys. On that note. <laughs> Close us out. <laughs> that's so that's the show. Thanks everybody for tuning into this week's episode of Game Misconduct. Another huge thank you to Manon Rayom for joining us. It was incredible to learn more about her and her life story and background and just an inc- an incredibly impressive woman. Make sure that if you like what you hear, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, whatever you rate, comment, subscribe. We really want to keep this podcast going so tell us what you think and what you like and we'll do everything we can to make it better and Alyssa I'll talk to you later talk to you later Stormy thank you guys as always (laughs) and as always there's more game misconduct than you think